Well, we're going to jump into today's message. We've been in the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. We just got done through Mark 4, and today we're entering into Mark 5. And so I'm just going to set up the scene a little bit here today to kind of bring some depth to what we're going to be going through. The, time, the timeline looks a little bit like this. Jesus was just in Capernaum. Uh, where he, he has just established a home base with his disciples at the time uh, here in this text. Uh, people are noticing Jesus at an alarming rate. His crowds are growing and growing and growing and growing. People are enamored with who this Jesus guy is. And last week, we, we noticed that Jesus is in a boat because the crowds have just gotten way too big. And to be able to talk to the entire crowd that was gathered here, he gets on a boat away from shores and he begins to speak in parables all day long speaking life into these people, speaking in parables. And at the end of the day, we remember Jesus told his disciples to, hey, put the sails up. We're going to get away from this crowd and go across the Sea of Galilee, which, listen, is not a sea. It's a lake, okay? It's not a sea. It's a lake, but I, it's okay. So he goes across. He gets halfway through, and what do we remember? Huge storm. Out of nowhere, just this mega storm pops up, and everybody gets scared Jesus placates the storm, just pacifies it instantly, stops the wave, stops the wind. Just an incredible picture of a mighty God. And then afterwards, they head over to this place called Gerasenes, which is a region on the other side of the lake. And as soon as Jesus gets out of the boat on this side, it says that there is a man who is possessed by a demon who comes up and interacts with Jesus. That's, I mean, if I get off a boat and a guy... When the demon comes at me, I'm a little flustered at that moment, but Jesus is not because he's the son of God, and Jesus knows what's going on in this guy's world. He, because of his presence, because of who he is, he cast out these demons, which turn out not just one demon, it's many demons led by, demons led by a guy named Legion. They are terrified of Jesus, as any demon should be, and they ask Jesus, hey, would you let us go into those, those pigs over there? And Jesus gives them permission to go in this herd of pigs. I don't know what a herd of pigs is called. I don't know if there's, but he goes into these pigs. Like you can't, like who makes that stuff up? Nobody makes up that story if this is not true. Nobody brings in their brain and said, oh, you know what? We'll write to fool people that these demons went into a herd of pigs. And so fascinating. These demons go in these pigs and instantly they say the pigs run and they run off the edge of a cliff. <laughs> Could you imagine like being there in that moment? Just, okay. I don't know what I just saw. And they were terrified. The people that saw it, they told other people. They were terrified too, so much so that they went to Jesus and said, hey, you got to get out of here. <laughs> we cannot deal with this, what just happened here. And so Jesus, not being welcomed there, he left the man who he healed from his demons there to spread his word, but he just moved on. And he gets back in the boat, goes back across the Sea of Galilee to the other side back to where he had just previously taught the parables from the boat. And when he gets there, there is a huge, huge crowd that is waiting for him. And I think when I read this story, I wonder, did anybody see that storm be placated? Were there people on that side that were just kind of in their houses and it just went, Poof. and they knew, and they spoke about it, and now everybody's just like on the edge of the sea, like, when's he going to get back? When's he going to come here? And then here he comes. And he gets out of the boat, and we see these two miraculous events happen at the hands of Jesus. Two miraculous events that Mark, the author of this gospel, intertwines together. 
Two disconnected stories that become one new story in which we learn more about Jesus and ourselves than if those two stories were just separate. And so what sets the stage is the meeting of the, with this man named Jairus, or Jairus. Jairus is one of the, what they would call, rulers of the synagogue. Uh, we're not going to read this text, but it's in your bulletin. But Jesus meets this guy named Jairus, ruler of the synagogue, which means this. He's of the religious elite. He is a, he's a dude. He's got influence. He's got power. He would be in charge of the day-to-day operations of the synagogue, meaning in charge of the building, in charge of who's in the worship service, so on and so forth. He's a, he's a big deal. And Jairus has a situation that is burdening him. His daughter is dying. His 12-year-old girl is on the verge of death. Look, I'm the dad of two girls. There is nothing that's going to pull on my heartstrings more than that. This man is at the end of his rope. Nothing brings you faster to your knees than that. And so he has a decision to make. He's of the elite. He's not just a normal Jew. He means something. And by his association with Jesus and his belief that Jesus has the ability to intervene here, he has risked a great deal. Because to the religious elite of the day, Jesus, Jesus is a threat and he's a blasphemer. And if you're of the religious elite and you deal with that man, there's consequences that happen. But Jairus is at the end of his rope. He is a broken man. His little girl lay on her deathbed and he cannot do anything for him. And so when he sees Jesus out of desperation, he falls at his feet and ask him to come to his house. His little girl is not, I need you, Jesus. And in that moment, we see what we see so often in Scripture, a compassionate Savior. Full of compassion, Jesus agrees to set off with Jairus. And so what I don't want you to miss in this first part, I don't want you to miss that this meeting that we're about to read, where Jesus interacts with an unclean woman, is set up because of the faith of a desperate man, a desperate man named Jairus, who asked Jesus to come with me. On that day, it would not be likely that Jesus would have made his way through that crowd towards Jairus' house. But because of this man's faith and his desperation on what he believed Jesus can do, this man brings Jesus on a path that he would not be on. And that path intersects with an unclean woman named, well, we don't know her name, I wish we did. So don't miss that. It's because the plea of Jairus, his desperation, that Jesus shows compassion on him. But he actually, Jairus creates a scenario where Jesus actually changes something else in someone else's life because of his faith. And so let's pick up this event here in chapter 5, starting in verse 24. It says, And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him all over Jesus. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. 
And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So right off the bat, Jesus is in a mob. Everybody is up in his business. And then this woman with issues comes in. Now, what do we know about this woman? We don't know a whole lot. We just know that she's had a discharge of blood for the last 12 years. Some would say that it was a hemorrhage. Other people would uh, speculate it's a disorder called menorrhagia. Uh, some people even thought this came from a miscarriage down the line. There are lots of things that this could have happened from. But most all of those things would have been treatable in today's culture. Our medical science would have been able to help this woman, up, help this woman out, but not in this time, not in this age. She's desperate. And you've got to understand a little bit of, of something about um, women in this time um, and, and blood. If you were in that cycle, you were deemed unclean and you had to leave the city. You couldn't touch anyone. The law said that if you had this disorder for more than seven days, all of your days were considered unclean. This woman lived with this condition for 12 years. Separated, set apart. If she had a husband, they most likely would have been divorced at this point. There's no way that she could have cared for her children. In fact, if you had this disorder, if you were viewed as unclean, anyone you touched would be condemned as well. Anyone you touched would be contaminated. 12 years. The Jewish faith makes a big deal about clean and unclean. And this woman would have been separated from everybody. That means this, she wouldn't have been able to come to worship services. She couldn't go to the synagogue. She couldn't even come to church, the place that you need to be sometimes. And the word records that she spent everything that she had, all of her finances on doctors, on people that could help her get out of this situation, help her to move herself out of the shame that she was in, in this unclean position. But to no avail. Can you imagine the process that she would have went through with all those doctors? Nothing helped her. Jesus is her only hope. And because of Jairus' faith, she's going to get a chance to meet Jesus on that path. Could you put yourself in that story for a moment? Sometimes we need to put ourselves in people's shoes. Could you imagine what it would be like to have a disorder like that that lasted 12 years of your life? To feel the shame of what it would have been like to be known as unclean, dirty by everyone around you. And not only that, you would be led to believe yourself that you were unclean, worthless. Can you imagine the shame that she would have felt? The shame that had to, that had to make her separated from everybody else. The humiliation that would have been present with her, knowing where she came. 
And we know that she has those feelings in her life because it says that she came to the Lord in fear and trembling. She knew she was unclean. And she just wanted to pass incognito through the, through the crowd. She didn't want anybody to notice her. She knew that by touching Jesus, she has just, by law, made him unclean. But in her desperation, she reaches out and grabs a hold of his hem because she believes that he can. He can overcome this just by touch. After exhausting all that she had physically, all that she had mentally, at the end of herself, she says, I got to go to Jesus. And notice the shame that's present, even in the way she went. Because you and I, if we had a problem, any old problem, I'd say, Jesus, I need your help. I got this going on in my life. She can't even speak these words. She's so humiliated. If if they knew who she was, she would be condemned. So in humiliation, she has to just touch the Savior, but she believes it. The way that she comes to Jesus is outstanding. If I could just touch his garment, she thinks, he will make it all well. And we see in the word that the moment that she touched the Lord, she was healed. She was restored. And the word says that Jesus knows it. He says, who is it that touched me? Jesus, that's great power. If you know some power left you, you've got a lot of power to deal with. I don't even know when my body's sick. Jesus knows when his, bo- his power leaves his body. He says, who touched me? And this is, this is the disciples, friends. This is about as good as it gets, because that question's rhetorical. But for the disciples, it's like, here's a moment for me to answer with a great response. Oh, what do you mean, Jesus? Everybody's up on you. What do you mean, who touched you? They're just so confused. But Jesus knows exactly what he's doing here. And so does this woman. She knows exactly what Jesus is asking. And she, it says, here's Jesus. And she comes forward in her shoes. Imagine you're in a crowd of people that know who you are. And you have to come up to a religious leader who has every right to condemn you, to reject you, to cast you away. All eyes are upon her. And the word says that she told the whole truth. What a humiliation. I'm sure that she's expecting shame. She's expecting this man named Jesus to maybe be unkind with her word, his words. We don't see that in our Savior. This is one of the most beautiful passages of interaction that I see with Jesus and people. Because what does Jesus say to her? He says, daughter, 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 can you not feel that moment in her life? Years of condemnation, years of no answers for medical conditions, years of separation, years of humiliation, and in one word, Jesus says, daughter, can you feel the chains just release from her? Can you feel her spirit be lifted up? Can you feel that life be changed? One word by the Savior, daughter, no condemnation, no shame, daughter. This is beautiful. Her life is changed in one moment by one word from one Savior, daughter. I think for some of us, maybe we've been in the position of this 
unclean lady, that we've dealt with a burden, an issue in our life that maybe is not even in control. This issue was not, she couldn't control this, but she's shamed because of it. Some of us has walked into positions where we feel humiliation. Maybe we've done something in our youth. Maybe we've done something in our past, and we feel like people just look at us for that one thing. Maybe we've walked out of some bondage in our life. The Lord has delivered us, but we don't feel worthy to walk with Him. We feel shame about who we were. Maybe there are things in society that make us feel passed over. Maybe the level of our income makes us feel passed over by this culture. Maybe we feel rejected less than. Maybe there are some of you in here that feel like the color of my skin, I can't control it, but people look down, I'm different, I feel that way because of the way that people look at you. Maybe it's your ethnicity that people, they shame me, I feel different because of these things. And I want you to hear today that the Lord speaks the same words to you. Daughter, son, you have no shame to have. We just sung a song that says, I am who you say I am. Jesus has called you daughter. He has called you son, and he meant it. You are a part of a royal line. You are his children, and you are exactly who he says you are, daughter. You have no shame. You can walk in the freedom of Christ, in the deliverance of Christ, by grace, You get to touch that garment and believe that Jesus Christ has given you freedom. And you don't have to remember what you've done in the past. The Lord says, I have chosen to forget what's behind you. I'm more concerned about you now. Do not forget your position, royal friends, as sons and daughters of the Most High God. You have no need to walk in shame. No need to walk in fear. Jesus is with you. I think we can look in this moment and think, you know, what is it about this woman? What is it about this woman that, that she gets to, by her faith, access the power of Jesus? What is it that's unique about her? Because there's a crowd around her. They're pressing up against Jesus. Lots of people are touching Jesus. Why is it this woman that gets access to this power, to this kind of Savior? I think there are lots of things that we can speculate. I know this, that Jesus just says this, her faith made her well. And so what do we know about this woman's faith? Well, her journey created that faith. This woman has nowhere to turn to, nowhere to turn to. She has tried herself, desperation to find relief for this disorder to no avail. She has created an atmosphere in her life not by her own doing, but by culture that is full of shame and humiliation. She's separated. She spent all of her time trying to, to come out of that, and nothing has worked, and there is nothing else to turn to. And so when we see her approach the Savior, she doesn't do it out of speculation that he could. But what we see in her is a desperation that he can. There are lots of people in that crowd that speculated that Jesus could. But she, by faith, knew that he will. Uh, If I could just touch his garment, I would be made well. There wasn't, well, you know, if I could just get to Jesus, things would be well. Maybe, hopefully, I get to Jesus, everything will be okay. This woman's desperation informed her faith. This woman's desperation changed her faith. A faith that's created out of desperation is different than a faith that's created by speculation. She has a robust faith. And I want to just pause here in the story. And I want you to notice who Jesus is with right now in this story. 
Jesus is with a woman who would be the lowest of low, deemed unclean by society, no stature, no worth. But who's Jesus speaking to right now? Her. And not just a few moments earlier, we saw him with a man named Jairus, who is a elite, a ruler, a prince. And we have a pauper in this woman. And I don't want you to miss in that seeing the availability of our Savior to all of those who call themselves children of God, all of those who he is the father of. He does not see position. He does not see separation like we do. He doesn't see power and stature. He sees his children. This is what Job writes as a testament to God in his trials. Job writes this about God. God who shows no partiality to the princes and does not favor the rich over the poor, for they are all the works of his hands. God has no favorites amongst us. All who are his children, he delights in, and all who are his children, he is available to, no matter what your situation. But it's not just class. It's not just stature that Jesus is ill-considered of. In this time, women would have been beneath it all. Women would have been bought and sold, hoarded. They were property. They were mistreated. And who is it that we see Jesus caring for and going after in these two stories? An unclean woman and a 12-year-old girl. In this time, this little girl meant nothing. Little boys would be able to carry on your lineage, to carry on your line, to, to create families, to have workers. Little girls couldn't bring that to you. You would sell them off to other families to be married. But this dad, he's concerned about his little girl. And so if you haven't learned this by now, you ought to learn this. Jesus Christ is different than anyone or anything that we have ever seen on this earth. There is not a position, a person, a stature, a division that separates us from Jesus. If you are his child, he is available to you, and not only available, but he is reliable in your situation. He is a good king for all of us in this room, no matter who you are. Now, let's get back to this guy named Jairus, because Jairus does a lot here. Can you imagine, not in this scenario, but he does for us. Can you imagine if you're the one, my little girl is dying, and Jesus is with you, and he stops? Like, we got a timeline. My little girl is on her deathbed, Jesus. I don't have time for you to stop and interact with these other people. But what do we see in this moment? Jesus is on the path with Jairus. And Jesus stops. Can you feel the panic if you're a dad in that situation? My little girl, what are we doing delaying this stuff? We're, we're not going to get there in time. Jesus, do you know what you're doing? There's no verbiage that is given to, to Jairus in this, but he's got to be distressed to sit there and watch Jesus care for somebody else when I'm the one that needs to be cared for. I'm the one that's leading you on this path. And that delay has effect. It does affect because we read on in Mark 5, this happens. Mark 5.35 says this, while he was speaking, this is Jesus speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any farther? It's too late. 
Jesus stopped. This unclean woman has prevented Jesus to getting to this little girl before she died. It's over. You might not even bother Jesus in this thing. Nothing you can do. But we learn that Jesus has other things in mind. Greater things in mind than just bringing some little sick girl out of sickness and making her healthy. We read in in Mark 5, the story follows is this. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Not a great thing to do with Jesus. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and he went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, rise. And immediately the little girl got up and began to walk. For she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them not that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. I love his compassion there, that he wants her to have some food. What seems to be a tragic situation, Jesus is late here, he didn't make it in time. Jesus quickly transforms into an opportunity for him to show who he is, to show his might, his power, his majesty. Were she just sick and she was made well, somebody could strike that up to a coincidence that he arrived at the right time, or maybe Jesus is just really good at healing people. But she's dead. And Jesus raised her from the dead. He doesn't play by the same rules that we play. And in this, Jesus shows that he's God. I am God that carries an immense power, an immense power. And listen, in all of these things, and in this moment, everything that he does in this story, he did it all for the glory of God. God will do whatever he wants in a situation for him to bring to himself the most glory. Not your glory, his glory. And in this situation, it was raising a little girl from the dead. God works for the glory of himself in all things. And so here, I don't want to miss this crucial part of the text. I don't want you to miss what sets up this entire story. This all started because of a guy named Jairus, who was at the end of himself, desperate, broken, reaching out to Jesus and said, come, come with me. Come with me, Jesus. I I need you. The whole event begins with somebody in humble faith, in desperation, saying, Jesus, come. And Jairus brings Jesus with him on the path. And on that path, Jesus does what without him would not be possible. What we have to understand is what Jairus learned in that moment, is that when you invite Jesus onto your path, it stops being about you. It's no longer about Jairus anymore. Because the only person on that path that matters is is Jesus. It didn't matter how quick Jairus got to his daughter. It mattered how fast Jesus got there. Our paths, we don't matter. When we ask Christ to come into our life, he is the one that has to lead our path. He is the only one that matters on our path. And because of Jairus' faith, Jesus goes on this path with him. 
and they come in contact with a woman who desperately needs the Lord. Jairus is thinking all the way that this was going to be a blessing for him in his life. He didn't realize that his faith, his desperation would cause blessing in other people's lives. And I'm here today to tell you it's true of us. It's true of us today. Today we don't have a physical Savior on this earth. We have the Holy Spirit. And He is with all of those who profess faith in Christ. And the, the Holy Spirit resides in and around those who trust in the Father. Those who in desperation have come to Jesus and said, I need you. And you have to understand that he, when he's with you, it stopped being about you anymore. It's not about you anymore. Because Christ reconciled you for a reason. He's with you for a reason. And that reason wasn't that you could have all your needs met. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. He says this, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, us is us, guys, the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation is to say, Jesus has created peace between you and God. You can come together with Christ again. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us, you and I, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though, listen, God were making his appeal through us. Our paths are no longer about us in life. They are about the one that's in us. Friend, I know there's a lot of things to be concerned about in your life right now. I know that there are lots of needs that need met in your life. I, I, maybe there are things that you feel like God owes you, but this scripture says to us that God's chosen plan was to those, for those who by grace come to faith in Jesus Christ, that they have been redeemed to the point that you are ambassadors, agents of reconciliation on change uh, on this earth. We are to allow people to see the love of God that was given to us, through us, from him to them. We are to speak so that others might come to know that reconciliation, that peace among God that was granted to us through his blood. And so whatever path we find ourselves on, whatever is going on in our life, it's important that you understand that you're on that path because his spirit's got work to do. And he will take you to places that you don't think you have time for or resources for. But he's going to take you to those places, even though you think it's about you. Jesus wants to bless people on your path. And so we know this, and we talked about this in life last week. We're going to deal with trials, tribulations. We call them storms. Lots of things that are going to come in our life. Lots of good things that are going to come in our life. And we know, right, that Jesus, he's in the boat with us always. Whether he's silent or not, he's with us always. And so, friends, don't be so distracted by what's going on in your life and in your selfishness that you miss an opportunity to show the love of God to people on your way. Because you got Jesus in you, and he wants to interact with people who need him on the way. Don't be so distracted by your own story that you forget the stories around you. Jesus might have put you on that path not just for you, but for somebody else. This week, my wife's been praying and fasting for a lady named Amy. And Amy, uh, I don't know her personally. Uh, Amy hasn't had the easiest path in her life. She was diagnosed at uh, an early age with Lyme disease. She has pain in her body every day of her life. Um, when she was in her 20s, she was in a, a brutal 
car wreck that broke her entire body. Somebody in that crash was killed. And then this week, she's going through this trial where the doctors are, are stripping away her entire immune system to attack the cancer that's destroying her body. But despite it all, Amy knows that Jesus is more important on her path than she is. And despite her struggle of walking that path, she's content with letting Jesus lead it, even, even if it costs her, even if it robs her of her hope in her miracle. She's willing to go through the pain to allow Jesus to love others along her path, to meet others' needs along the way. I wish I could comfort you all by letting you know that Jesus has promised you a life that's going to bring you health, wealth, and power. I just can't. We, we can't read Scripture and find that. Amy knows this. What I will let you know is that for those who trust in Christ, Christ your path's going to be directed to whatever brings God the most glory. He's going to direct your path to whatever brings him the most glory. It's a path that will not be concerned with your personal glorification, but rather with God's. And you can either decide to let him lead you, or you can fight it the whole way and miss out on the opportunities to see God work in other people's lives despite your mess, despite your needs, because he's in the way, he's in charge. He's the one in lead. And listen, on that journey, as we see with Jesus, there are going to be people that mock you. There are going to be people that laugh at you like they did to Jesus. Because you have a faith that says he's in charge. He's leading the way. And I'm going to glorify him every step of the way. You run that race where you will get laughed at because of your faith. And so when we look at Jairus, we see his faith as a catalyst that created a situation where Jesus came in contact with somebody along the way. Somebody else than him that the Savior meant, met in that moment at the expense of Jairus' journey. How is it that we miss opportunities in our lives? How is it that we miss moments along our way because we're so focused on ourselves, so focused on our own miracle, on our own uh, needs being met that we, we miss opportunities to be the agent of change and love because that's what the Savior wants to do. We get so distracted with our own way. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's just possible that your path is not about you. Maybe can we just create a reality right now, that maybe your path is more about Jesus than about you. There are people just like this unclean woman in your life who have desperately tried for everything, and all they need to hear is daughter, son, child. That's all. They need one word from Jesus. They need to meet Jesus. And what if Jesus wants you to use you to meet them? I think Jairus shows us that that's a reality in our lives. No matter what the cost to our personal satisfaction, no matter what the consequences, will we let Jesus lead? Because God will always bring the most glory to himself. And listen, that could mean the girl dies. That could mean that the girl died at the end of this path. That it didn't work out but we trust and hold on to a good king 
who moves us on our path for what is best for his creation. It doesn't always come for what's best for us. God loves you. He, you're, you're, you're a delight to him. You're precious to him. But he has a huge vision. We've got a finite view. And someday, listen, friends, we will inherit a crown that is greater than these momentary light afflictions on this earth. And all that we have walked through, because we have let him lead, will be worth it. And it's because of that that we can let Jesus lead our path. Even if that means it gets delayed, even if that means it gets redirected, because we trust who the Savior is, and we trust in the way that he's working. And so let the faith of Jairus be an encouragement to let Jesus be greater on our path than we are. To let him lead us into opportunities that may not be for our own namesake, but for the glory of God, to show his glory. And if we do that, wouldn't it be cool to be part of a story like this unclean lady? To be blessed like that? Jairus' faith encourages us. And so let's just, today, we're going to take a moment as the band comes out, and we're going to invite our prayer team up here today. It's just to, to have some introspection in ourselves, just in the opportunity today. Uh, maybe if you need some prayer today, maybe you're just, you're walking your path, and, and, and you're having trouble letting Jesus take the wheel in that thing. You're having trouble. You, you, you want to find all the answers. Maybe today you just need to, by faith, give that to Jesus. Let him lead you. Sometimes I think in life we think that our mess disqualifies us. But listen, the Lord's going to use your mess to be a message of hope for those who come in contact with you. Maybe today it's time for you to surrender and let Jesus lead your path. Maybe it's time today that you believe that he wants to use you as inept as you feel to work in the lives of others. But maybe today you just need to hear the words daughter. Maybe you just need to hear the words son that you would realize that the Lord does not want you to walk into shame, that he has forgotten your sin and chosen not to remember it, that you can get up by the grace of God and walk freely today towards the arms of our Savior who is madly in love with you. Maybe that's what you need today. But whatever it is, we just ask you, if you need prayer, we want to pray with you. And so we're going to worship together here today, and then afterwards I'll come up and pray with us, but let's just take some time to praise our Savior today.